If you would stand and open your Bibles up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. At that time the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain, and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain, from the midst of the fire, in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, and put the tablets in the ark which I had made. And there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Benajakin to Moserah, where Aaron died, and where he was buried. And Eleazar, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. And from there they journeyed to Gudjadah, and from Gudjadah to Jothbatha, a land of rivers of water. At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. As at the first time I stayed in the mountain forty days and forty nights, the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord, but to fear Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep his commandments which the Lord and his statute, sorry, of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good? Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them and and chose them, or sorry, he chose their descendants after them and above all peoples as as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. And have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with seventy persons, now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Well, we're making our way through some uh, road trips here in the scripture. We've, uh, to this point, uh, visited Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And today we are visiting the book of Deuteronomy. The last of what we know as the, uh, the Torah, the books of Moses, or the books of the law, right? And uh, this is kind of a, a closure book in some ways, as we'll see here as we get going through the text. I uh, hope you had an opportunity to read through Deuteronomy, or at least portions of Deuteronomy this week in your time with family. Uh, I'm going to ask, if you would, uh, to join me in a word of prayer. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on His Word as we dive in here this morning. Lord, you're our praise, and you're our God, and you've done great and awesome things. By your strong hand, you have rescued us, you've redeemed us, you've called us your own. As we look to your word today, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that we would be teachable, that you would grow us, that you would mature us, and you would strengthen us according to your word. See that our remaining journey is walked out 
Lord, in your way, obeying your words, clinging to your testimonies, holding fast to your statutes. We pray, Lord, that your good word this morning would wash over us this day. And pray that we would be a people who remember you all of our days. May we never forget, never neglect, never set aside your commandments. Let us not turn from you, Lord, for you are our life and the length of our days. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like you to turn with me as we begin. Uh, turn in your Bible to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Another familiar psalm. Usually connected in, in large manner with Deuteronomy 6. Uh, psalm 78. I'm not going to read the entirety of it. It's quite lengthy, but I will read uh, starting in verse 5. And, and would like to read through verse 8 as we begin here this morning. For he... God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. God appointed a law in Israel and he had what I'll call a distribution plan. God had a distribution plan. It's evidenced from the text right here. The parents were to pass along God's words to their children. And then those children were to pass along this law of God to their children, and so on. It was incumbent upon the parents to distribute the law of God, to, to shine light, if you will, on the path of God's ways. And you know that in the midst of every generation since Adam and Eve... There's been conflict, hasn't there? A clashing of worldviews, a load of distractions, a colliding of wills, a confrontation of truth, and an ever-increasing number of alternatives set before man, calling out to him, inviting him, hey, travel down this road, go down this path, you need to come this way, a happiness is just up ahead over here. God's plan for distributing his law on paper before us right here in his word, on paper it's pretty simple. Dads and moms loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll include mine because the Lord Jesus includes it in the Gospels. Dads and moms taking God's words into their own hearts living it out, walking daily by God's words. And then, simultaneously with walking out God's words, they are instructed in the word to teach these words to their children, the next generation. They're called to talk to them using God's words. To talk with them about God and to shine a light for them Showing them this is God's way. Now, it's an incredibly wonderful distribution plan that God came up with. Unfortunately, the marriage unit has taken a giant hit. I read a startling statistic. It said that this is from the Census Bureau in 2012. It was amazing to me to think about this. That 1.1 million spouses annually file for divorce. Coupled with that statistic, 
was another statistic that, that said something to the effect that also on an annual basis, some 40 million people per year, 40 million, are searching online to find the love of their life. It goes on to say that some 71% of them think they've actually found that someone. And then there's another statistic that says some 250,000 weddings are annually called off. I think there's a connection between all of those statistics I just gave you. Over a million spouses are filing for divorce. And we just read from Psalm 78 and we see what is God's distribution plan. And we know the schemes of the evil one, right? The schemes of the evil one is to do what? To divide, to to separate, to alienate husband and wife. Why? Because it's God's plan. It's God's mechanism for his word to go forth one generation to the next. Psalm 78 is written by Asaph, and it details this distribution plan of God, but then goes on and shows on countless occasions the disobedience of God's people. People who forgot God. Think about that for just a moment. All we've been reading in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, people who forgot God. They failed to walk in his ways, and instead they chose their own foolish ways. And from Genesis onward, there's this fractured relationship with God and his people, stemming from what? A sinful pattern of disobedience. The distribution plan of God has been marred. There's nothing wrong with his distribution plan. It's right on spot. It's a great distribution plan. But truth be told, it's hardly recognizable today. Broken families, broken marriages, broken homes. Is it any wonder that so few know the commandments of God today? Is it any wonder that so few seem to care about walking in his ways today? The children of Israel were rescued out of Egypt. The church of Jesus Christ has been rescued out of slavery to sin. We've been redeemed, we've been pardoned, we've been set at liberty. Chains are broken because and through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's that's why Paul can say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of which Christ has set you free. Stand fast in it. Remember. Don't forget. That's another way to say remember. Remember. What he's done. Remember who he is. Don't forget. And sometimes when you read don't forget in Deuteronomy, there's coupled with that, beware. There's a warning. Don't forget lest you die. Sounds extreme, I know. But it's there on many occasions. Remember. Don't forget. Here are three words that I also want you to think through as we go through this study. Hear, fear, and love. Hear, hopefully that reminds you of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, hear. In the same Deuteronomy 6 we see This idea of fear, that you may fear the Lord your God. You shall fear the Lord your God. When your son asks you in the days to come, what's the meaning of all of this? He brought us out from there that he might bring us in. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Fear the Lord Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. Hear, fear, and love. Deuteronomy begins and ends with the people of God on the plains of Moab. 
There's not a whole lot of distance traveled in this particular book, right? We're, on the, we're camped out on the plains of Moab, haven't crossed over yet. That's coming next week. Joshua. Israel is in preparation mode to cross the Jordan River, waiting to confront what we'll see that, remember the, the impenetrable wall of Jericho? It's coming in the next book. Moses is about to die here in the book of Deuteronomy. He's 120 years old. Much of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is Moses' final 40 years of his life. We get the last 40 years, predominantly, of Moses' life. At 80, he gets the call by God to go to Pharaoh to rescue his people out of Egypt. And now here he is, 120 years of age. He's already been told by God that he's not crossing into the promised land. We see that in Numbers chapter 20. God tells Moses, because you did not believe me, to hollow my name. To what? What's another word for hollow, church? Fear. Because you did not believe me, because you did not hollow and fear my name in the eyes of the children of Israel, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now, Joshua is set to be the next leader of Israel. And by the close of Deuteronomy, Joshua will take on the mantle of leadership and lead God's people through the land of Canaan in an era, what we know as an era of conquest. Joshua will leave that. But before we get there, there's this book of Deuteronomy, this second law. Put it up here, right? That's the idea. Deuteronomy, second law. A repetition, if you will, of the law. We're going to see a second rendering of the Ten Commandments. The first rendering was in Exodus chapter 20. The second one is found right here in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 5. Okay? It's repeated as well. So we get, really in many ways, we get a second helping. How many of you like a second helping from time to time? Well, we get a second helping here in Deuteronomy of God's words and his ways. Okay? That's what this is. Now what, we've, what we'll see here in Deuteronomy is that some of the things here are new, but for the most part, we have a repeat of God's laws and commandments. And the repeat ought to, ought to trigger a question on our end. Why? Why the repetition? Let me give you a couple reasons. First of all, we need to remember that a whole generation has died off in the wilderness. Right? That was numbers. A whole generation died off. And with that generation gone, there becomes a great need to repeat the words and ways of God. The generation hearing Moses speak in Deuteronomy, these were the children who made the exodus from Egypt. They were privy to God at work. They saw his wonders on display, but they needed a, a fresh rendering of God's words and God's ways. Now, closely connected to the fact this one generation has died off, therefore the need to have a repetition of God's law. Closely connected to that, there's a second reason, I believe, and that is that 40 years have passed since their departure from Egypt. 40 years have gone by. Think about picking up a math textbook today that is dated 1977. That's 40 years ago, if my math was correct. 40 years ago. And reading a story problem from a textbook in 1977. And we're chuckling a little bit, some of us are, because we know that that story problem would be a little archaic. It'd be a little outdated. Consider the things that have changed and developed just over 40 years of time 40 years if, if you, the computer development alone 40 years it's amazing how far things have come in the realm of technology and computers 40 years well this might give you some explanation for a repeat of God's laws and ways the book of Deuteronomy is helpful and it's much needed for a generation that's about to enter the land that's been promised by God, this land of milk and honey, 
right? This good land that's part of the promise of God that's been passed down through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's that thread of the covenant, right? That's continuing here in the book of Deuteronomy. And all throughout, we get these two words. Remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. A second helping of God's words and ways are necessary. Israel is charged with obeying God's voice. They're charged with keeping His covenant. And in doing so, they're deemed a special treasure to God above all the people of the earth. Isn't it great to know that God sees His people as a special treasure above all the peoples of the earth? I'd like to remind you of one of the things he spoke to Moses about his people right there when they were camped at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. He says, and you shall be to me, talking about his people, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God is distributing his law once again to his people, a people who have displayed a penchant for rebellion, for doing things their own way, for grumbling, for complaining, for lifting up their voices against God and his appointed servants. The pattern of Israel over the past 40 years has been far from holy. It's been far from walking in his ways and words. We need to understand something right here. The issue has not been God. The issue is never God. The problem is never God. We're a people that like to look for scapegoats. We like to point a finger. We like to have someone else take responsibility for our own sin. Now, the primary issue is a heart that's hard and rebellious. The primary issue is a heart that's provoked the Lord to wrath. The children of God, listen, they're not inheriting the promised land because of their own righteousness. Deuteronomy tells us that on a few different occasions. Israel is inheriting the promised land for, I'll give three reasons as I see it in the text. Not making them up, they're here. Deuteronomy 9 verse 5 gives us a couple of them in Deuteronomy 7 verse 8. Here are three, I'm going to give you three. One of the first reasons they're inheriting this promised land, the Bible says because of the wickedness of the nations. God's driving them out. There's some wicked nations. Here's the second reason these people are going to inherit the promised land. So that God may fulfill the word which he swore to his fathers, to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's it's the continuation of his promise. When God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. But here's the third reason. Since it had nothing to do with their righteousness, here's the third reason. I love this third reason. It's because the Lord has set his love upon his people. He's chosen his people. He set his love and affection upon his people. The distribution plan of God is set in motion and that his people would be a holy people. A city set on a hill, the New Testament writes about. Right? A light to the nations around them. A people who fear God. Love, who love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. A people who hear and obey. This, this word hear, when we, when we look closer at it in Deuteronomy 6... In the Hebrew, that word, Shema, right, that's what it's known by, that whole section, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, is the prayer, right? This really has in mind more than just hear. Uh, hear as in, uh, let, let words fall on your ear. Let, listen, like hear as in listen. That's part of it. But the idea, the full capturing of this word in the language and how it's used here in Deuteronomy is here with the intent to obey. Obey. 
Those two words are, are intertwined. Here, that you might obey what I'm teaching you. That's the call and charge from God to Israel through Moses. Now, Deuteronomy is a, if you read through it, you'll, you'll pick up on this. It's a series of speeches or, or sermons that are delivered by Moses. Moses does a lot of talking in the book of Deuteronomy. And chapter 1, verse 5, sort of sets the stage of the book. On the side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law. He's explaining the law to the people, to this new generation. Keep in mind that the people of God have just journeyed 40 years in the wilderness. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about the whole book of Deuteronomy, thinking about the placement of Deuteronomy, thinking about... Joshua that's coming next, thinking about where we ended in Numbers, thinking about why we have Deuteronomy here. You know, and I gave some of the reasons that we see in the Scripture. But it also got me thinking about the purpose of Deuteronomy. In my own mind, I thought of Deuteronomy as this one gigantic extended timeout. It's this big, long timeout. And as I got to thinking about a timeout in the game of basketball, which I'm an official... Uh, teams call timeouts for lots of different reasons. One of the reasons they call timeout is to stop the momentum of the other team. And I got to thinking about, well, does that fit here in the text and thinking about this? And I got to think, you know what? This timeout here in Deuteronomy wasn't called to stop the momentum of any enemy country. No, no one was hurting Israel at this point more than Israel. Okay? There's another reason in the game of basketball why a team would call a timeout, and that is to instruct their players on on something that needs corrected right now. You know, in the game, I've seen coaches, uh, within 30 seconds of the start of the game, they they want a timeout. Timeout, timeout. I need a timeout. And you're like, there's only 25 seconds off the clock. You see, they call timeout early in the game because the coach sees something that's not happening that ought to be happening. And he gets them together right now. He stops it right now to correct it, at least try to. And it's almost as though this book of Deuteronomy is here. It's like, you know, before you cross over into the promised land, you need some course correction here. Forty years have, have gone by here, and now we need, to, we need to talk here. We need to make sure we get this right. We can't wait for this one. We've got to talk about these things. Need to be corrected right now. There's another reason that one might call time out in the game, and that is to get a substitute in the game. And I, I was thinking about this with Deuteronomy. It's a new generation leading the way. It's almost like all the subs, full-scale substitution. Here they are. They're all coming in. All 601,000 of them. A new generation. Subs are coming in. They're entering. There's also another reason, another real logical reason for a timeout, and that's simply just to give your players a rest. Sometimes in the game... They just need a rest for a short period of time to gather themselves in the midst of the battle. And a good coach is going to recognize when his players are tired. He'll have them come in. He'll get them some water, towel them off, listen to some instruction. Boom, get back out there. Israel is hearing the law, and they are about to resume play. They haven't yet. By the close of Deuteronomy, they haven't yet, but they're about to resume play. Things had been hard over those last 40 years. They're not going to get any easier as we get into Joshua. Rest and instruction is given, but only for a time. You see, the people of God, as we think about this in a bigger picture, are placed here to be participants in God's ways. We're not perpetual bench warmers, snuggling the towel, resting forever. Now, we do long to one day enter our heavenly rest, right? Hebrews talks about that. But until then, we carry on with God's instructions here. There's one final thing I was thinking of with the timeout. A coach might call timeout to draw up a play for the end of a game or the end of a quarter or the end of a half. You call a timeout to ensure that you have the best possible chance of scoring a field goal in the time that's left on the clock. And Israel, here they are, they're gathered on the plains of Moab and they're hearing instruction by God through Moses, and the hope is that they run the play God is drawing up in his word. One of the passages of Deuteronomy that really is a big message of Deuteronomy, 
that you get as you read through it is that God's ways always lead to blessing. It's there. I mean, it's hard to miss it. God's ways always lead to blessing. Running the play that God calls results in blessing from God. Now, obedience to the ways of God, when I say obedience, I'm talking about heart obedience. This fear, hear, love kind of obedience. When these are in motion, God's blessing and favor are upon his people. Now, the message of Deuteronomy also communicates that forsaking God's ways always leads to cursing. And so we have before us then these blessings and we have these cursings that are presented to us in the text. Moses sets this before the people of God. He tells them the ending points of their chosen paths. He doesn't leave them in the dark as to where their obedience leads, nor does he fail to warn them on where their disobedience will lead them. So a timeout is intended to instruct, but to what end? I was thinking a timeout is, is taken to instruct with the hope that the team does what? Executes the play. The coach might draw up a fantastic play in the huddle. And he might say, hey, Johnny, you go here. Hey, George, you go here and you stand here and you're going to go right here and make sure the ball goes over here and we're going to get a good look right here. And the coach can walk them through all of that. But the bottom line is whether the team can execute the play. Execution of the game plan is yet to be seen. It's yet to be seen. Deuteronomy is this extended time out for the people of God. Instruction is given. The law of Israel is repeated and renewed. But time will tell whether Israel will execute God's ways and carry God's words with them into the promised land. Remember. Don't forget. Deuteronomy is structured in three parts. Let me give you these three parts. Chapters 1 through 4. Chapters 5 through 26. And then chapters 27 through 34. In this opening four chapters, uh, these really in many ways are a, what we would call a retrospective, a looking back. Okay? Um, one of the other ways we could label this This is really a historical narrative, okay? In his first four chapters, he's recapturing what's happened with the people of God up to this point. It's really telling us, in many ways, what God has done. And also, in the midst of that, what Israel has done. And really, as you read chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, you come away from Deuteronomy after the fourth chapter almost, this is gloom and doom. It's a pretty gloomy picture. Well, it may be a gloomy picture, but it is the reality of the people of God at this point. Well, the second part is uh, 5 through 26. And one of the words that we could use here just to define this section, this is the uh, legal, uh, all kinds of laws, uh, social laws, moral laws, ceremonial laws. Uh, in many ways, this is the introspective part. This is the looking inside, the viewing within. We have the looking back. We have the looking in. Remember, they're here on the plains of Moab, and they're being instructed on this law. This law is being repeated. And so the necessity to go through some of these laws again, uh, it's needful. These people need to hear this again. So you're going to hear a repeat on some of those laws that we talked about. The Ten Commandments are going to be repeated. He's going to talk about uh, principles regarding warfare. He's going to talk about some of the feasts again, some of the laws and some of the cleanliness issues come up, uh, divorce, economic principles, having just weights and measures. All of these things are going to be outlined and spoken about here in 5 through 26. And the last section, 27 to 34, is, is probably best defined as a... Uh, Prophetical section. Prophetical. 
If the first section was a looking back and the second section is a looking within and making sure that we've got this figured out and taken care of and we're getting these instructions that we need to have, this last section really is a looking forward. It's, a, it's got a future bent to it, okay, in 27 to 34. It's a prophetic discourse. We see here in this last section of, of Deuteronomy that God's people are going to be taken captive. It's talking about that time yet to come. It's talking about also this merciful God that we have, that God, even in the midst of their sin, even in the farthest regions, when they call upon his name, God is going to bring them back to the land. We see some of those words talked about. It's prophetical in many ways. It's talking about what God will do really leaves Israel with the question, what is Israel going to do? Here's what God's going to do. What's Israel going to do? Will they continue a sinful pattern or will they walk according to God's words and God's ways? Deuteronomy is also, as we think about the book, a call to the community of God. I think this is a very important aspect of the book. It's a call to the community of God to keep God's ways and hold fast to God's words. The reason Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years had everything to do with a national response of disobedience to the words and ways of God. Numbers chapter 14, verses 32 through 35 This is the account in number 13, 14 about sending the 12 spies. Remember that? Near the end of that, Numbers 14, beginning with verse 32. But as for you, the you there would be all of those 20 years and older, besides Caleb and Joshua. But as for you, think about what it would have been to have been 20 or older. It would have been a great blessing to have been 19 in that day. I mean... 20 and older, you were part of this. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. That's a nice way to put it. Your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. Listen to this. And bear the brunt of your infidelity. until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years. And the Lord says, you shall know my rejection. You're going to know it. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Did that happen, church? Sure did. One of the commentaries I was reading this week in the book of Deuteronomy speaks to this aspect of community. It says Deuteronomy has a vision of a community at peace with God and with each other. Which really, when we stop to think about it, it's, it's a reference to the bigger picture in the book of Deuteronomy that's connected to what we know as the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, right? The first part concerning our allegiance to the Lord, the second part tying into the communal responsibility, how we relate to one another. And the writer says Deuteronomy presents this theology which has no place for a type of individualism in which personal actions are divorced from the communal good. And as I read that, I got to thinking about on numerous occasions in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll, you'll read this line. So you shall put away the evil from among you. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Well, the writer of the commentary goes on, he says, the purpose of human life is not simply personal success, but the attainment and maintenance of a just social order. He says, Deuteronomy is interested in achieving a great society, not in the great achievements of individuals. Its emphasis is on the interest of the community as a whole, not self-interest or even self-interest interest groups. Its primary concern is for the public good, not private gain. 
Thus, he says, Deuteronomy represents a social ethic strongly at odds with contemporary culture, at least American culture. I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, you read through some of the laws in Deuteronomy, and not only are some of them just odd, you agree? Some of them are just odd. But some of them are hard to hear, aren't they? We, we read them and we cringe a little bit. Like the one in Deuteronomy chapter 21, 18 through 21. A stubborn and rebellious son. Listen to this. This stubborn, rebellious son would not obey the voice of his father and mother. We get the idea in the text that his father and mother disciplined him, chastised him. We also get from the text the recourse. The son doesn't take to the discipline. Dad and mom take him to the elders to the gate of the city and they tell the elders there about their insubordinate son. And by the way, they happen to label this son as a drunkard and a glutton. Describes who he is. And the text goes on and says that all the men of the city stoned this young man to death. When we read that, we're taken aback a little bit. Stoned him to death? I can hear the headline question on the front page. How could parents allow their son to be stoned to death? What kind of parents are these people? Today a lawsuit would be in order even to suggest such form of punishment. But in the context of Deuteronomy, the public good, the community as a whole, the social ethic, that's the primary concern. See, after the men of the city stoned the young man to death, look at the very next sentence, the end of verse 21. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Wow. Now it makes a little more sense. It's still harsh. All Israel, church, is intended to learn a lesson from this stoning. They are to hear. They are to obey what God has to say. What's God have to say about this? I'm going to tell you what God has to say. He's been very clear about saying something about this. In Deuteronomy 21, Honor your father and your mother, that you may live long in the land upon which the Lord your God is giving to you. Here's a son who was not honoring his father and his mother. Hear, obey what God has to say. And, and fear the consequences of walking any other path. Why? Well, Deuteronomy 4.24, among other places in Deuteronomy, says the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Do we fear him at all? We see this social ethic manifest itself once again in the book of Joshua in chapter 7. You remember the story of Achan who stole. Oh, by the way, stealing is also one of the commandments God very clearly didn't stutter on. Don't steal. Harsh punishment. but just punishment. See, the community emphasis that's delivered in Deuteronomy reminds me in many ways of the church of Jesus Christ. If we flip over into the book of Acts, chapter 2, for just a moment, in Acts chapter 2, we see in verses 42 through 47, this community life of the church those who received the word, they, they were uh, continuing steadfastly in the doctrine of the apostles and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together had all things in common. 
divided him among all as anyone had need. This was not a communist society as some like to think it might have been. No, no, no. This was the people of God being the community that God had intended them to be. You keep reading and daily with one accord during the temple, breaking bread, enjoying the favor of one another. You flip over to Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. They had all things in common. Verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land sold them, brought the proceeds laid them at the apostles' feet. They distributed to each as anyone had need. And then you get to Acts chapter 5. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Remember that story? Within the scope of three hours, both husband and wife will lie to Peter and to God the Holy Spirit. Is lying no big deal? Is telling the truth not a big deal? Being honest? Does God care whether you're honest? Does your word count for anything? Let me tell you something. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, it lists some things. If you don't know this list, you need to consult this list. You need to know what God hates. He gives a whole list here of things he hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, which would fit right here in in Acts chapter 5. He hates a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Here's something else he hates. A heart that devises wicked schemes. He hates feet that are swift and running to evil. He hates a false witness who speaks lies. He hates one who sows discord among the brethren. Uh, Several of those that I just read fit right here in Acts chapter 5. Listen to the postlude from the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 verse 11. So great fear. Great what? Great fear. Great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And really, that's the idea. In many ways, Acts 5 is looked at as one of the first instances of church discipline carried out. It was shocking. These people got carried out, buried. Imagine the water cooler talk after this couple dies. You know, it's not uncommon today for certain events to go viral, right? That's kind of the the language, the term. Imagine someone catching the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira on their phone. Within minutes, hundreds, thousands, millions of people will have watched the event. Can you imagine someone taking footage of this Acts 5 event? The church feared when they heard what had happened. See, the pattern that's established here in Deuteronomy and the pattern that's continued in Christ's church, there's a great deal of similarity in terms of this common good, the, the emphasis upon the community, or what we know in the New Testament as the body of Christ. Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, For in fact the body is not one member, but many. In 12.20 it says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And in 12.27 it says, You are, now you are the body of Christ, and members individually. See, as a part of the body of Christ, his church, we are responsible to walk by faith, to abide in Christ, to work out our salvation. What do we work it out with? With fear and trembling. For the same God in Deuteronomy who calls his people Israel to attention is the God still calling his church today to attention. Hear, fear, love. Remember, don't forget. So Deuteronomy moves from this retelling or repeating in the first section to what I would call this ratifying. Uh, the word ratify, when you ratify, oftentimes it's connected with a covenant, ratifying a covenant. When we, the word ratify, I'll give you a couple other words to describe that, um, to, to confirm something or to approve something or to make something valid, right? You're ratifying it. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26, this is the end of this second section, this legal section. This is the end of chapter 26. Listen to these words. Start reading in verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe. Did you get that? He commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, 
You shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. Here's the ratifying part. Here's the confirming part. Here's the approving. He's saying, you guys, you all have confirmed, you've ratified, you've said today that the Lord be your God. And that you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments, judgments, that you will obey his voice. That's the content of keeping covenant with this holy God. In other words, here's what you're saying you're going to do as a result of confirming and approving he's our God. In that same passage, it says, also today, look, look at what it says. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. After all that they've done for the last 40 years, and God's saying, he's proclaimed his people, Israel, to still be his people. He's still going to keep them. That's a pretty amazing thing. Just as he promised you. You know, as I'm reading Deuteronomy, that phrase comes up quite often. Just as he promised. Just as he spoke. Just as he promised. Just as he's spoken. And so the Lord proclaimed to you to be a special people, just as he promised, that you should keep all of his commandments, that he will set you high above all nations which he's made in praise and name and honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he's spoken. Remember Exodus 19. You shall be to me what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this covenant renewal, what it's doing is establishing both parties, God and Israel. I want you to notice in 18, he says, also today, the Lord has proclaimed to you to be his special people. Not only is the covenant being ratified and confirmed and made valid for a new generation about to enter and cross into the promised land, but God himself, this is an amazing thing, God himself is renewing his promise to his people. You are my special people. You will be set above all the other nations. And as my people, you shall pursue holy living in accordance to all of my commandments. Now turn the page over just a couple pages to Deuteronomy 29. In Deuteronomy 29, it's going to reiterate this renewal of the covenant. He says, keep the words of this covenant, verse 9, and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. All of you stand today before the Lord your God. Skip down to verse 12. That you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God, into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself. Listen, that he may be God to you. How many of us desire God to be God to us, to our church? There it is again, just as he's spoken just as he's sworn to your fathers. So Deuteronomy is this book that retells or repeats the story of Israel up to this point, a retelling of Israel's sin that led them to this point, but also a retelling of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy to stick with this people, even in spite of their stubborn, sinful tendencies to rebel. Deuteronomy is a book that explains the laws of God. That's chapter 1, verse 5 explains the laws of God to a people on the verge of entering into the promised land. And it's written, here's an interesting thing about Deuteronomy, it's written primarily to the laypersons, not to the priests. The, the, one, the one book we've already covered that's written primarily to the priests it would be what? Leviticus, right? A lot of stuff in there pertaining to the priests. Deuteronomy is written, and it has some of those same laws, but really the, the, the bent of Deuteronomy is toward the layperson. So this lengthy second section of the book, 5 through 26, it culminates with ratifying both parties, God and his people, the children of Israel, agreeing to the terms of the covenant. Here's what God brings to the covenant. This people belongs to me. I will be God to them. I'm going with you, by the way, and I'm not going to leave you, by the way, as a promise. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 tells us this as Moses is speaking to the whole people of Israel. He says, be strong and of good courage. We think of those words and attach them to Joshua, God talking to Joshua in chapter 1, which he will do. But he also uses these words, God, through Moses to the people, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, these people, the land you're entering for the Lord your God. Listen, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. 
Here's what God expects of his people. This is what God brings to the table. Now, part of that covenant, what's he expect of his people? Right here. Hear, fear, and love. How's that? Is that simple enough? Does that distill it down enough? Hear what I have to say. Obey what I have to say. Fear me. Obey. Love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's the sign or symbol. I've been talking about it, Israel. I've been talking about it, but I'm going to put it forward again because here shortly you're about to enter into the promised land. The promised land, this land that I've been talking about, this good land filled with milk and honey, it is almost here. So you have this retelling or repeating and you have the ratifying, the confirming or the validating of the terms of the covenant for a new generation. But lastly, finally, as we're getting to a close here, hang with me, we're almost done. There's also this certain responding that's called for in the book. So you have a retelling, a repeating, you have a ratifying, and you have a responding. Those are three R's that might be helpful also to remember this book of Deuteronomy. A retelling, a repeating, you have a a ratifying, and you have a responding that's called for in this book. The people of God are called at the end to choose, to, to make a decision on how they're going to move forward from this point. How now are they going to operate as a nation. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'll pick it up in verse 15. If you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy 30 in verse 15. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Well, what's being contrasted here? Life and death, good and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God. There it is again. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That's that's treaty language, right? That's contract. This is in writing. I'm calling heaven and earth as witness against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, I love this because he gives them the one answer they're supposed to choose. You know, sometimes you get two options and no one tells you the right answer. He actually tells them the right answer. Choose. Think about a multiple choice test. And you're going into a multiple choice test and you are actually given the right answer. And you know which one to choose. He tells them, choose life. Choose life. That both you and your descendants, remember the distribution plan we talked about earlier? Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, cling to him, for he is your life in the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. Well, the first five books come to a close here with Deuteronomy. Moses dies in chapter 34. Joshua is about to lead the people into the long-awaited promised land. But the response that's called for in Deuteronomy is appropriate today for hope in Christ. In chapter 34, if you turn there for just a moment. Chapter 34, verse 10. This is after Moses has died. It says, but since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. A prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Deuteronomy chapter, if you go backwards to 18. Deuteronomy 18 connects Moses to another prophet yet to come. This would not be just any ordinary prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. A prophet like me. Church, who is this prophet like Moses that's coming? Can we say this collectively? Jesus. 
So in some ways, as we're looking at gospel threads through these books, remember, we're, we're working our way through 66 books and at the same time pointing out one main attraction. Moses, there's not arisen any prophet like Moses, but Moses himself speaks of, and the Lord speaks through Moses, of a day that's yet to come when there's going to be a prophet arise from their own people. Him you shall hear. Fast forward. Acts 3. Peter and John are preaching at Solomon's porch, giving testimony to the lame man. Remember the lame man at the gate called Beautiful? They're preaching and they're testifying to what God's done and healed this man. And they call the people in that moment, Peter, as he's preaching, to repentance. But I'd like to draw your attention to what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Peter here says, but for Moses truly said to the fathers. What did he say to the fathers? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet, Jesus, shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What is that going back to? Genesis chapter 12. It's the thread of the covenant. I love what he says as he ends it. To you first. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. Do we think, friends, about the arrival of Jesus Christ as God's way of blessing you and turning every one of you away from your iniquities? Moses sets before the people a choice, life or death, a good path or an evil path. And Moses equates life with God. He is your life. And the apostles understood that the prophet like Moses was the Messiah, was the Christ who was raised from the dead. They understood the message. Hear this prophet. Hear him. And the decision today, church, remains the same. We are, as we sit here today, we are far removed from 1400 B.C., the time, approximate time of Deuteronomy. But the same word is near. It's not far from each one of you. Choose life. To choose life is to choose Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. To turn from Jesus is to choose death. You've heard the message before. It's been repeated. It's been retold on countless occasions. Today, though, is a day to ratify, to renew, to make valid for yourself. You are choosing Life. You are choosing to hear what Jesus has to say. You are choosing to fear the Lord your God. You are choosing to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength today. You're choosing to remember him. You're choosing not to forget him. Today you are given an opportunity to respond, to choose life. Let it not be said of you as it was said in Deuteronomy 32, 18, of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. But instead, remember that the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He is your praise and he is your God. Will the community of God choose God's ways and God's words as her path and instruction for living? We're left with that question as the book of Deuteronomy comes to a close. And I leave you all with the same question. Will Hope in Christ Church choose God's ways and God's words as her path and instruction for living from this day forward. Hear what God has to say. Hear coupled with obey. Fear the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear, fear, and love. The horn is sounded. The timeout is over. 
And it's time to see whether the people of God will execute God's game plan taken from his holy word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good word. Thank you for this book of Deuteronomy. It serves a great place in the whole of the scripture. It's the place on many occasions where Jesus himself turned. We see him quoting from Deuteronomy as he is encountering the evil one in the wilderness. On three different occasions, Jesus comes back with, it is written from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus is also using the book of Deuteronomy as he speaks about divorce, as he speaks about church discipline. Uh, This word of Deuteronomy was held in high regard by our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for giving to us this word of Deuteronomy, this reminder, this repeat, this second helping of your law to encourage us, to instruct us in your ways. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of this distribution plan that you've put in place from long ago, that dads and moms are to be the ones distributing this law of yours that your words and your ways would be carried on through dads and moms here in this place so that the next generation would know them and that the next generation would set their hearts aright and would, would walk in the way that God has intended for them to walk. I pray, Lord, that we all here would hear and desire to hear with the intent of obeying you, that we would fear you The fear of you is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. We have strong confidence in in that fear of you. The fear of the Lord turns us away from the snares of death. And Lord, may we have a great love for you all our days. For it's out of our love for you that we have a love for your word. May we always remember. May we not forget. Day by day, Lord, I pray that we would walk steadfastly in your ways and carry with us your words ready to speak. Thank you for these great reminders today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.